You're listening to the Oklahoma Math Podcast. Greetings, everybody. Today is actually Monday, February 10th, and I'm a little behind on the OK Math Podcast, but you're going to get two this week for that uh, reason. So actually, I have a really great interview that I'm going to share with you folks that I did last week with Paige Bergen, and she is a wonderful teacher out of uh, Tulsa Union Schools, and she has a, a really great kind of perspective on reading and writing in the math classroom. She's a fifth grade teacher, and she's just done a fantastic job of recapping some of her um, experiences in the classroom in response to Nicole Schobert's Seven Quick and Fun Ways to Write in Math. And Nicole had a really fantastic post on our okmathteachers.com Friday roundups, and it's from uh, February 7th, which was Friday, and she has just provided some really fantastic perspective and resources on what writing in the math classroom looks like. So I'm really excited about all that. We just continue to have uh, fantastic volunteers giving of their time and their their expertise to create these uh, roundups and then uh, you know record with me these podcasts, and I'm just so thankful for that. So a recap of last week, because uh, I think it's always nice to just hear a little bit about what's going on. Um, we had two regional meetings last week, one in Stillwater and one in Ardmore. Uh, had a heck of a lot of fun at both of those events, just uh, so happy that the teachers came and um, participated, and I, I, I think that it went wonderfully. Ardmore got cut a little bit short because of weather, but uh, we still got a lot done that day. And... Um, ultimately, really, right now, we're just spending a, a lot of time planning. We have a few things that are coming up. We have Math and Science Partnership Grant that we'll hopefully have out, out of the door by the end of this month. Um, oh, God, I hope I'm not overstating that. I think it should be coming out by the end of this month, um, and that's really exciting. It's a lot of money that goes to math and science professional development. It's federal funds, and we're just so happy that we have uh, so many innovative math and science teachers around our state that are able to apply for those funds. Um, we're also continuing to plan for our REACH Summit, which is February 19th, and I really hope that you guys will show up to that in Norman, Oklahoma. That's just south of Oklahoma City here. And um, at that summit, I know Jennifer is doing a couple sessions. She'll be overviewing the pre-K standards, uh, which are almost out for public comment, and I think that's going to be a really good session for those of you in early childhood education. She'll also be doing a full session on model draw, and um, we've gotten some really good feedback as a for, for that as a really great strategy for building uh, not only number sense, but just problem-solving sense. I'll be doing a session on understanding misconceptions versus mistakes. I have a lot of cool research that I'll be pulling in into that presentation, but really helping teachers to use student misconceptions and uh, mistakes to build better instruction, better assessments, and, and to be more responsive as the teacher. So I'm looking forward to that. That's uh, definitely a priority of ours. I'm sure there are a million other things going on. Um, that I'm forgetting about. Oh, for example, uh, I posted on Twitter, on Facebook, and on the SDE Mathematics page that the SDE Mathematics page has been updated. You should check it out because it now has a nice little toolbar that links you to next year's blueprints, next year's calculator policy. If you're a high school teacher, you'll want to check this out. It also has next year's pathway tables, which tell you, tells you which standards are in Algebra 1, Geometry, or Algebra 2. And uh, we have connections to the released items that we have and 
um, all sorts of good stuff there. So uh, including reference sheets for next year's test. So if you're just wondering how the heck is Common Core going to be assessed in the state of Oklahoma, you now have blueprints, calculator policies, reference sheets. You can check that stuff out right now and start thinking about what that means for your instruction for next year. So without further ado, let me go to Paige Bergen. She has done a really nice job for us in this podcast. I hope that you guys enjoy it, and I'll see you guys Friday. Bye. All right. My name is Paige Bergen, and I teach fifth grade departmentalized math for Jarman Elementary, which is in Union Public Schools in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I am national board certified in 2008, and I was also the mathematics uh, recipient of the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Teaching for Oklahoma in the year 2010. Wow, fantastic. And uh, did that come with a trip to D.C.? It did, and I got to meet and shake President Obama's hand. Pretty awesome. Wow, that's really cool. And uh, did you end up with a, a good picture of that? No, they would not let us take our own cameras in. You get through a lot of security details. So I'm in my brain, I'm sure that there's some really awesome picture of us shaking hands in the White House somewhere. But, but you don't have it? <laughs> I don't have it, no. <laughs> okay, well, that's a shame. Okay, well, one day maybe uh, we can shake hands and then we'll take that picture and then I'll let you have that, okay? Okay, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it's um, important for folks to know that you're also a member of the beta class of OK Math Leadership. Uh, do you want to just briefly tell anything about that? Yeah, I, the OK Math and OK Sci leadership program has just really been phenomenal, I think, and it's opened my eyes and kind of broadened my focus to allow me to think a little bit on a, I guess, a deeper level about what I want to do as far as leadership for math and science education for our state. And it's made me become a little bit more bolder um, in my actions. I think it's really easy for teachers to kind of become complacent in their position and uh, either they try new things out at the local level or the district level, but to kind of step out at the state level and even with the OK Math and OK Sci Keystone projects, it's really encouraged us to kind of take ownership of what we want to happen in the state and bring that pro- that project or that program to fruition. So it's it's really challenged me and it's it's been really exciting. It's right what I needed right now. So I love it. Very cool. So that's like the best um, little uh, advertisement for that program that I've ever heard. So that's amazing. So (laughs) we're actually, we're actually shooting, you know, so for folks who don't really know about leadership, this is, um, this year was the beta year and you know a lot about this. We're working together in this project and it's, um, so we have about 40 math and science teachers right, who are just working on just kind of learning what leadership looks like in the math classroom or, or in the science classroom. Um, but you guys are really kind of our, you're like our guinea, guinea pigs, uh, where we're yeah. learning a lot about what works and what doesn't work. But next year, we'll actually start class one, uh, which looks like that's actually going to be happening, which is really exciting news. Awesome. Um, so would you suggest that people apply for this? Oh, absolutely. And um, after our last weekend get together our kind of retreat where we got together and I got to really hear 
what other people wanted to do as, as we went around the room and whether it was an individual presenting or if it was a group presenting. I mean, every time somebody spoke, I thought, ah, oh, I want to be a part of that. It wasn't, yeah. I mean, I didn't necessarily want to take the lead like they were doing, but it was just, there are some fantastic things coming down the pike for Oklahoma for science and math. And I just, I'm excited because it's people who are truly passionate about science and math making those things happen. So if science and math are somebody's passion, I would say go for it, you know. And if you think that you have any inkling about leadership or anything like that, I, I this is just a phenomenal program that I highly suggest. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, let, we should do a podcast just about leadership in the future so that people can really get the, uh, you know, get a sense of it and uh, you know that we have an awful lot of secrets in the group, a lot of things that we really want people to be a part of it so that they can uh, yes. kind of be a part of that club. So we won't give everything away, but um, cool. So let's let's kind of go through, uh, because really what I have you uh, on the OK Math podcast for is to chat about Nicole, uh, Nicole uh, Schobert's post that she just put up for the Friday Roundup, the seven quick and fun ways to write in math. And for the folks who uh, may remember Nicole, she was actually a former director of mathematics for the state of Oklahoma. And uh, she's a fa fantastic friend of mine. And uh, we've been in a lot of uh, classes and we work together. Uh, so I thought this this was a really great blog, uh, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, tell us a little bit about the blog. Uh, you know, I thought there were some really great ideas that she had listed. And there were some things that really made me kind of reflect on my own teaching that maybe I've never tried or maybe just a new way to look at something that I've done in the past. Um, one of my favorite things that she wrote is that writing in math doesn't have to seem like a chore or a separate thing it's, it's, or something that you have to do. It really, I, I would encourage teachers to think about it more from the aspect of it really truly being used to deepen the understanding of the content or concepts that are being addressed in class and really giving your, your kids just one more avenue to shine and show what they know. Um, the, I loved that she mentions cartoons. That's something yeah. I've never tried in math, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. What a, an awesome way, and kids would love that. I, I, I teach fifth grade, and I can see that kids younger and much older would think that cartoons were awesome to do. Yeah, so Nikki's, Nikki's whole post here is like um, trying to kind of demystify what writing looks like in the, in the math classroom, right, uh, which is increasing. Not only has it been important already, we've known that it's important, um, yeah. but we know with Common Core that we need more and more focus on what our students, how our students are able to, you know, really communicate about math. We have kind of this need for precise communication in the in the math yeah. practices. And she even points out about the ability to um, critique the reasoning of others and construct viable arguments. But all of those things happen with students engaging in um, reading and writing in the math classroom. But then on like kind of the cherry on top is that we know that TLE is pushing a lot of uh, conversations yeah. in the classroom around literacy. So the question is, okay, if all of these things are happening, what do you do that's not overwhelming? So her seven, out of her seven points, the first one was cartoons. And um, did you happen to have a chance to look at some of those things? Have you ever heard of Go Animate or uh, any of those things? I've heard of Go Animate, but I've never used it, and I had never heard of Tune Do before. Yeah. And I, yeah, but those, I mean, I just thought, oh my gosh, I have got to go try those. 
Yeah, I thought Tundu was really um, kind of a cool resource. I thought that was really neat that she provided that one. Um, looks like a lot of fun kind of activities that are available on that website. That's so awesome. um, you, do you see yourself using cartoons in your classroom soon? Yes. Yeah, I think that kids would love to do that. And I even, I mean, unfortunately, it's been incredibly cold here lately. And so our kids haven't had outside recess. But I think something like a cartoon, giving them the opportunity at a recess time, you know, no idle time and no really extra time spent on our part as teachers, that would be a great way to see, to check for understanding and and use their time wisely. So. Sure, and it could really get to the multiple, learn, you know, multiple um, intelligences. Um, yeah. In a kind of a cool way, I like the. Uh, so I'm just going to keep talking about her cool resources here, but she's got the comic strip layouts, which are really just templates that you can just print off as a teacher, and you can kind of set it up the way that you want it, and then all of a sudden you're just filled with uh, kind of these cool comic strip, you know, blank comic strips that you can now use really easily. That is awesome. Yeah. So uh, so would you say that that's your favorite of the whole list? It's not my favorite. I do like it. And I like exit slips and kind of like using exit slips as the, the whole parking lot strategy where the kids have to put a post-it somewhere and maybe have one more question before they're leaving or something that they learn. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like the right pair share. But I think probably my favorite is um, the last one that she mentioned, which was explain your thinking. And uh, the way I've kind of used explain your thinking in my classroom is I've given my kids open response questions. And as we know, with Common Core coming down the pike and what that looks like, our students are going to have performance-based assessments. And so I frame these open response questions with, kind of a situation for the kids where they're given a situation and they have to come up with maybe the rest of the problem or a portion of the problem is missing and they have to use what they know to find out what they don't know. And so sometimes I'll give it to a whole group of my students and they have to work and collaborate together to come up with a solution. And I also give them large chart paper because on the large chart paper they're going to have to explain their thinking, and really, really provide a good, solid answer why they know what they know, almost to the point where they're... These are my fifth graders, yeah. And um, our curriculum that we have, which is Everyday Math in Union, um, the curriculum that we use has a lot of built-in open response that goes with each unit. And so sometimes I'll start even by going down to fourth grade and using a fourth grade open response that might match one of my units of study that I've recently been doing. And so at the beginning, to get them working well together and so that they're not at a frustrational point, I'll go down to fourth grade and use a fourth grade open response, let them work as a whole team together, and then the large chart paper is used so that they can explain their thinking almost to the point where if someone was absent and didn't get to hear the lesson or didn't get to hear anything about what we did, they would be able to walk away understanding and having a full, complete understanding of what that person or that group's solution was to the problem. Yeah. And so last last week when the, we did together as a, a in groups, the students were given certain percentages of the color of tiles that Mrs. Smith wanted to tile her floor with. And you're missing one of the percentages – 
And then you also know the total number of tiles that she's going to tile the floor with. And you have to use what you know with the percentages you were given to translate that into numbers of tiles. And so the kids knew how to figure that out. But the most challenging point was they had to use their answers that they got above to then create a design of the tiles. So just taking it even that one step further and now saying, if you have 67 tiles out of 142 that are blue, how are you going to make it a design with these other colored tiles that you have? So really challenging to take it one step further and show what they know, I guess. Yeah, I like, I, I think that's um, fantastic. And I know um, I've heard, I think Sarah Snodgrass um, used to always talk about this as uh, explain your brain, which I always thought was kind of a funny way to say this. Um, and do you ever call it explain your brain? I do. I stole it from her, and she knows I oh, stole really? it from her. Yeah, I use it with my kids all the time, and I, I tell my kids, the math princess said that's that right. I can steal this from her. So. Yeah, that's great. I'll have to, we'll have to make sure that she hears that. Uh, <laughs> um, shameless plug for her, too. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the critiques, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, um, one of the critiques that I hear about you know having students show their work or whatnot is that sometimes – um, there's not a lot of work to be shown. What do you What do you think? What would you say to a teacher that says, you know, whenever I have my students do their do their homework, and I have them show their work, they don't show their work. Like, what do you do about that? You know, I I my kids, and even in fifth grade, they they try to kind of battle with it because kids are really kind of resistant to it to showing their work, and I think that sometimes when kids reach a frustrational point, they would rather just put down an answer and think that they're done and walk away yeah. then actually work through it. And it's like you said, it's part of that perseverance that common core is going to be calling for. And, um, you know, I, I think just not letting them not, not accepting that, I guess. And I, as a teacher, you know, I, I even have in my room, it's, it's posted, um, because kids know that I can kind of be a little bit sarcastic and it, I have posted in my room, it says, sure, you can just circle C and show and not show your work, said no teacher ever. <laughs> I have that posted in my room because my kids know since August we're going to have that conversation. And by now, they've kind of quit asking. And so, I, love, I love that. Said yeah, no, said yeah. no teacher ever, said no math teacher ever. So um, cool. And I, 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 I encourage think my kids to get there to the point where they they really have to explain their brain because I let them know that it's it's just as much a tool for me to check for their understanding because I would rather say, oh, my gosh, I get why you don't understand this or I see the error in your computation and let me help you fix that. I would rather go through that than them just throw down some kind of answer and be kind of lazy about it, I suppose. Yeah. So I guess there there comes to be, you know, there comes to mind uh, uh, a lot of things that you've brought up here. But, I mean, the first one is just about the student, you know, wanting to be done faster. I mean, there there is always a question in a math classroom about how do you train perseverance and what kind of mm -hmm. situations is a student willing to put a little bit more of themselves into um, the right. process. But I think, I think you would agree that, you know, really we have to have good enough questions that there's something worth explaining as opposed to um, – you know, I, I at a fifth grade level, you know, 
you can have students doing some pretty complex, um, you know, problems about with fractions and multiplication mm -hmm. and division. I mean, they really they really are starting to think more abstractly about these things. Um, but if we give them just like more of these rote questions, there's not a lot to explain, and that can really cause a lot of frustration for students as well. Is right I did it, and disengagement you know, it, too. I, I see yeah. disengagement when they when they can't see when it becomes abstract, like you said, and then they kind of don't really see the real world application. You have to be intentional about that, I think. Okay. Well, I think those are some really good um, tips, and I think um, I think uh, Nikki did a really nice job of linking to a few other good resources. So she points out a Marilyn Burns book. I'm yeah. a huge fan of Paige Keeley. Uh, I'm actually, I'm like, I worship Paige Keeley, basically. I think uh, I've learned more about being a, a good teacher from reading her books about formative, formative assessment yes. uh, than pretty much any other single book that I've read. So um, so I thought that was I really cool that provided those. Yeah, I think there's still a lot of, um, I guess, misunderstanding about what formative assessments and summative assessments really mean for teachers. Yeah. I think teachers um, for a long time have been trained to do end of unit or end of chapter or whatever that looks like with whatever curriculum you have. And I think um, I think really challenging even teachers to start using formative assessment and summative assessment in different manners and knowing that formative assessment is really supposed to be informing your instruction and letting you know what you need to spend your time with and what you don't need to waste your time with if your kids are already really good at it. And summative checking for understanding at the end of something that you've covered. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Paige Keeley does a nice job of kind of helping you understand, like, how to do that very practically. Yeah. Um, because, I, you know, I got into, like, I think the way that I thought that formative assessments were supposed to work is that you give the kids the test at the end, you know, you give them a quiz that basically is everything at the end of the you know, unit, and then right. you just see if they happen to already know math, which what I found is pretty much all my students didn't happen to already know Algebra 1, right? I mean, it's like right. not ob obvious that they don't already know those things, those things. So then once I started doing better formative assessments where it was really me understanding what, what misconceptions they had, the, mm -hmm. the game changed. Right. It, it totally changed. So, okay. I, we could, I think again, formative is like informing me, like, I, this this assessment is informing me, the teacher, how I need to use my time. And so at the beginning of a unit, they're not going to know it. And if I'm using it as a summative assessment, I'm going to feel really defeated as a teacher if I use formative assessment inaccurately, I suppose. Sure. Okay. So, I, again, man, we could do a whole thing on formative assessment. So let's just – I'm going to have you call in. We're going to do another podcast for uh, leadership and another one for formative assessment. All um, right. But let me give before we kind of close out. I'd love to hear your the you know your top uh, way to incorporate writing in the math classroom that's not on the list. So the one that I didn't really see in the list that I I would add to the list is incorporating literature with mathematics and um, really using fictional literature to strengthen a concept that you've addressed in class. And I. I see that everyday math, and I speak to everyday math because I've used it now for 10 years, but wow. everyday math pairs very nicely with some great literature that's out there. And even though students see, let's say, um, 
geometry for several years in elementary school, they aren't going to be seeing the same fictional literature every year. So as it increases in rigor throughout the years, they the literature that matches it is also quite appropriate. And when I talk about geometry with my students, my favorite book to teach with is a book by Marilyn Burns called The Greedy Triangle. Yeah. And pretty much the gist of this book is that it's the greedy triangle who wants to add more shapes to his side because he's become bored with being a triangle. So he goes back and forth to the shapeshifter, adding another side and another side. And what's really great about this book is not only does it teach about the prefixes of tri, quad, penta, hexa, all the prefixes that go with these polygons, she also talks about how every time you add a side, you also add 180 degrees. So it's, again, going back to reinforcing what we know about triangles and how many degrees triangles have. And it's a really great way for her to just kind of go one step further with what you've already been talking about in class. But yeah. then after that, I turn it around and I turn it into a writing assignment for my students. And my students become authors of a book about a shape, and they incorporate what they know about polygons, and they can pick just one shape or multiple shapes, but they have to write a fictional book that incorporates those facts that they know. And so, so this is even in your, whole, this is in your, um, I thought you were departmentalized. Yeah, we are departmentalized, but I do this in my math class. And, it, and, and so, it works in math classroom? What's that? I'm sorry? And, and the kids don't uh, say, well, this is a math classroom. This isn't supposed to be happening. No, no, we write, we write. So you write it's, enough in there, so it it works for you, huh? It works, and but, they actually love getting to be an author because they they're doing it in other they're doing it in writing. They're doing they've done writing workshop growing up, and so when I get them as fifth graders, they're actually I I don't have as many resistant writers as I used to. Hmm. Now writing in math, they might not quite be as used to that, so I think they would much rather write me a story about math instead of the solution to the tile problem that I already talked about. But um, what I like about this is it lets the kids differentiate on their own. It's not me differentiating or me setting the bar too high or setting the bar too low or unachievable. It's really them differentiating their learning on their own. And we go through the whole publishing process and we do a final draft and we present it and we show it and they have a lot of ownership with it and they're really excited to produce something that's got story elements and facts and they can incorporate what they've learned in reading and writing into the math class and they start to see those those connections and how you know even though I don't teach them science they start to see how math and science are very much connected and and we talk about we talk about how our knowledge just gets a little bit deeper because we've kind of stepped outside of just talking about how many degrees or isosceles triangles or equilateral triangles and things like that. Yeah, so very, uh, you know, even with little kids, I mean, you know, you have to be a little bit uh, reflective. I mean, that's an incredible part of what the learning process is, is reflecting on those those new experiences and connections. Okay, so I want to make one um, comment about a website that I think that folks will want to know about that may help them with uh, incorporating your, uh, you know, number eight that you'd add. So 
uh, and maybe you know about this, but if folks go to the OK Math Elementary wiki space, which they can get to through okmathteachers.com, one of the menus in the top is it says elementary wiki space. And then if you go to any grade on the left um, side of that page, there's almost always something that links to um, to the website k-5mathteachingresources.com. And yeah. Yeah, you know about this website? Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. It, it, it is amazing. And like every single, so it's, first of all, it's aligned to Common Core. Um, you know, so that's wonderful. So if folks are K through five, if you're a K through five teacher, this is aligned to Common Core. It has activities for each standard or at least for each cluster. And then I think what they've done that's really great is they've actually linked a ton of books that are related to the standard. Yes. So a person could really uh, get a lot of resources from this website, but also probably use some of the suggestions for books uh, to help engage in your new number eight. Yeah, so, there's and there's some great books uh, that I I have, but I don't get to to read. But you know, spaghetti and meatballs. Oh, that's great. Um, any of the circumference books. Yeah, those are awesome. Circumference. Raise a night, and you you get to. It, it's just a great way to really bring. Even just even though they're fictional books, it's a great way to bring real world application to why we do what we do in math. Very cool. Well, Paige, I think that folks listening hopefully have, uh, you know, helped, this has helped uh, them gain a whole perspective on writing in the math classroom. I think it, I, it sounds like your classroom is, is uh, full of some really interesting and engaging activities that are, you know, not um, siloed, as even though that you said in the beginning that you're, you know, departmentalizes math, it's really clear that you're incorporating other things. I think that's so cool and, uh, and useful. So, um, is there anything else that you feel like is important to add for, for the listeners at this point? No. Thanks for the opportunity. And if you're listening, I I think the OK Math and OK Sci Leadership Program is I, – I would highly encourage. And hopefully next year you'll have so many applicants that you don't know what to do with. But I'm it's hoping. a great program. Yeah. Well, thanks for the, uh, the additional plug for leadership. And, uh, Paige, you were fantastic today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And uh, for all of those folks out there, we hope that you uh, keep doing good things and making an impact on those kids' lives. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you right here next week on the OK Math Podcast. You're listening to the Oklahoma Math Podcast.